Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. For this week's main episode, I've got something a little hopefully special, definitely different for you. Today will be the first time in over five years that I've recorded a full narrative episode for you without a script. You guys heard me mention in this week's follow-up episode that I've spent the last three weeks working some pretty long hours all of those weeks sorting through all of the phone records, cell records, landline records. I've been verifying whose phone numbers belong to who and trying to make a clear and concise record of the phone calls with names attached. Because I can't just share with you guys, obviously, the cell phone records because I can't share all those phone numbers. So, after putting all of that together, I'd have no idea how I could possibly write that into a narrative form. So this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to be winging this. I've got records in front of me. I'm just going to be going off the fly. So this will not be your normal polished episode. I can't tell you how long it's going to be. But I'm going to start off by reading through the master list. And that's all of the relevant people, or at least the the people that we know of to be relevant right now, who we have records for. That's all of their records all smashed into one, into one big master record. So it'll show you who was calling who and when and who had service and who didn't have service. So first, we're going to go through all that, and that'll be posted on the website. Then we're going to take a little break, and then I'm going to come back in And I'm going to go back through that list, but as through each individual's records. So while we're going to talk through Becky's activity that day, and it'll help to paint a much clearer picture of what Becky was doing. Then we're going to do the same thing for Robert and Christian together, since we know they were together that day. And then we're going to do the same thing for Javier, and then the same thing for Jacob Santiago. Uh, I've got a little bit of analysis along the way. Uh, But it it may be a bumpy ride, but I think that you're going to enjoy it. And I think that uh, we're going to have a much clearer picture of what went on on September 17th, 2006, when we get through all this. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Where's he even going to go? Dobbies have lowered the prices on hundreds of everyday products. (laughs) 
We'll strap it to the roof. Making them feel uh, even greater. Remember, it's all in the knees. So garden tools feel larger than garden sheds. And lift! Find great value every day in store and online. After all, spring's a big deal at Dobby's Garden Centres. That's the shears. Now for the trowel. Oh, Dad! All right, before I get started, I want to shout out a couple of people. One is Amanda Mowry. She's a listener who lives in the Coachella Valley, and uh, she volunteered to do some work for me on a little mission and uh, proved to be a really big help. Also, Ian Patterson. Ian is, uh, he works for Verizon. He's been there for over a decade. He actually teaches people how to read cell phone records uh, as part of his job. He has been a huge help through these last few weeks, helping me to answer a lot of questions and helping clear things up for me. I actually recorded an interview with Ian uh, a couple of days ago that I intended on being kind of short and feeding into this episode because he explains a couple of things. As it turned out, the conversation went on for almost an hour, and it's it was very, very informative and very, very helpful for me, but I didn't think that you guys would want to listen to a whole hour of that. I think that the the actual information I got from it that I'll plug into this episode is, is far more relevant, so I'm not going to be playing that interview. If you guys really want to, I'll put the interview out as a bonus episode. For those of you that want to hear it, you can hear it, and if you're not interested in hearing all these kind of details then you don't have to listen to it. So just let me know on social media. If you want me to go ahead and post that as a bonus, I'm happy to do that. Uh, if I do that, it'll be unedited. I'll just put it out just the way it is. Um, and with that being said, we're going to get right into these call records. So as I mentioned in the intro, what I have to start out with is the master list, which is what I've been working on for these last few weeks. And it's, it's essentially, so we have the records for, uh, well, let me tell you first. John had a cell phone. He rarely used it. He only had eight. They, they, they pulled the cell phone records from like August 25th through the end of uh, through uh, September 25th for John and Vicky. And John from August 25th through September 13th. So four days before the murders, he made 18 calls or had a total activity of 18 calls and nothing after September 13th. So that you won't hear anything about John's cell phone records in this episode. Vicky's uh, was pretty similar. She had a little more activity than John. Uh, she only had one call on the 17th. Uh, at 2.12 p.m., she received a call. It was 54 seconds in duration. It's just a call that went to voicemails that she didn't pick up. It doesn't even say who the call was from on the record. So you're not going to hear anything about Vicky's cell phone records there. Uh, and I think that's pretty indicative of what we know about them, which is that they tended to, when they weren't at work, they were at home. And we know when you're at home, we have no, no cell service, so there's no cell records up there. So what we have are, uh, for starters, we have the, the Friedley landline, which I'll be referring to in this episode as uh, Becky's home line or Becky's landline, I think, because that's just how I have it written in my documents. I just have that in that way because most of the calls seem to be placed and received from and to Becky. Uh, but that's the landline at the Friedley house. I don't want you guys to mistake like she had her special own line. I don't know that to be true. I don't think that is the case. Uh, it's also important to point out that there are some discrepancies there. That's one of the things Ian worked on with me. He couldn't figure out, even, even through him, he couldn't figure out why we have these issues. But we find that there are calls that we know came from the landline that don't show up in the landline records. 
which is a problem because one of the biggest things that we're trying to do here uh, was to find out, did Becky call Denny's? And I'm going to give you a little spoiler. We don't know because we know, for example, you'll hear as I go through the list at, um, I don't know, I'll I'll get to the time in a minute, but uh, Becky calls Robert from the landline. We see it comes from the landline on his cell phone records. He picks up, they talk for about two minutes. That call does not show up in the landline records. She called him several more times. They do not show up in the landline in the landline records. She called Christian does not show up in the landline records. So well, all we know is she could have made call. We know that she did make calls from the landline that don't show up in the landline records. So that leaves it open to the idea that she could have called from the house phone. So with that being said, I'm just going to start walking through. And again, uh, bear with me. As I said, I don't have a script. I'm, I'm reading this record that I created that you guys can follow along with if you go on our website and go to the document section for this episode. The master list that I put together, there are calls from the home phone, Becky's cell phone, which is not much from Becky's cell phone because I don't start this until about four in the afternoon about the time she goes up to the hill, up to up to her house. We have uh, Robert's cell phone, and I have his calls through that time period. Uh, and through the next day up until around noon, and then I've added, it, it, I had to stop at some point to put this together uh, to go ahead and record. Um, so I have his calls up till about noon, and then there was a few calls after that where he connects with Javier that I went ahead and threw in there. Uh, I have, obviously, Javier's records through this time during the day, and then uh, through the 17th, through the night, the next morning, all the way. And for him, I love his records. I took his records all the way up until about 2.45 in the afternoon, and you'll see why when I get there, because there's some relevant things happening there uh, that that we need to know. So I continued on from there, and part of that was from the information I got from Amanda that helped me realize why some of those calls were important. Uh, we have Jacob Santiago's cell records are also included here. Now, there are a few more records that I want to add later, and I want to expand upon this. Um, Jacob's, by the way, also that next day, as right now, what I have in there, and we're going to, when we discuss all these people as suspects, we're going to go much deeper into their cell phone records. We're going to go days back and days after and get in every single call for the purposes here, trying to find out what happened that day, the day after on the 18th, Jacob gets up in the morning and he makes several calls to like an 800 number. There are a few calls of the numbers I wasn't able to track down. or didn't have time to track down who they belong to yet. There are nobody, none of the known characters that we have in the story. So because of that, those aren't included yet, but we'll get to them. I only have in there his contact with Javier and with uh, attempts to call Becky on the day after for now. But just I just want to make that clear. There's more records for Jacob on the day after. I just haven't had time to get into them all yet because I haven't been able to chase down the numbers yet. So I'm going to start off with a brief summary of Becky's morning leading up to, as I said, the the, the detailed call log. Starts at 4.40 p.m., uh, but I've, I put together kind of a summary of what she did before that. So she worked the night before. She worked Saturday night at Denny's. One thing that was of note was between the hours of 4.50 a.m. and 5.50 a.m., she received three text messages from an unregistered number where the caller ID came through as 15. And uh, Ian, our expert, didn't know what that meant. I don't know what that meant. I means I've tried to look it up. And have had no success with that. So I don't know what that is. Uh, throughout the night, she has constant communication with Javier. 
And when I looked back at the records for the weeks prior on these weekends, which is when she was working that graveyard shift, that's pretty consistent. I mean, all night, usually he'll call her usually a few times. She won't answer and then she'll call him back or they'll text. And then, you know, so on this particular night, you know, they talk around nine o'clock at night. They're talking all day the day before. Uh, they talk again around 11. They talk again around two in the morning. They talk again around three in the morning. They talk again early in the morning at like 4.55 in the morning, which seems to be about the time she got off of work. So just know there was a lot of communication between Becky and Javier throughout the night. And that's consistent with the other days that we have records of her working. Now, also, we have a new character that we haven't heard from before. His name is Josh Erni, A-E-R-N-I. And I do have his cell phone records, but I haven't had time to go through them and include them all in this master list. But what we do know is that Josh called Becky at 4.50 a.m. that night, that morning, I guess, while she was working on the morning of the murder. Uh, and it goes to voicemail. She calls him right back, and they talk for about a minute. Um, so he calls her there, and then uh, he actually calls her. Well, I'll get to that in a second when he called her, uh, when she called him again. Um, but she also gets these calls. She gets two calls from a number that's registered as Blue License Holding at 5.20 a.m. Uh, they went to voicemail and uh, the police tried to pull phone records for blue license holding and they're not in the, there's a file for them, but they're not in there. Uh, I did some research on that and it seems like that's like a scam number or a spam number. Uh, there are numbers that were like sold to these spammers through Verizon or whoever sold them, sold these numbers to this blue license holding. That's what I've been able to find online. I don't know if that's super accurate. Seems odd that a spam or a scam number would be calling at 520 in the morning, but we do have those two calls from this blue license holding at 520 a.m. that go to voicemail. At 550 in the morning, Becky gets a call from a number from a different area code that ends in 0806 for 45 seconds. Um, and that's a number that I don't see anywhere else. Uh, it comes in, like I said, middle of the night, early morning, uh, 550 a.m. Her phone goes dark from 5.50 a.m. to 12.06 p.m. I assume this is when she's sleeping. From what it sounds like from the friends, after she got off work, she went to Javier's house. So after she makes that one call to the 0806 number at 5.50 a.m., she has no activity. Now, there are calls that come into her during that time. We have uh, that Josh Arney or Ernie calls her at 10.45, goes to voicemail for 41 seconds. And then at 12.06, when Becky looks at the first activity we have coming back from her again, she calls him at 12.06. They talk for a minute and a half or it went to voicemail. It's hard to tell. And again at 12.24, but that call didn't connect. At 12.15, she calls Janelle. So now, you know, she's awake. It's 12.15 p.m. It's afternoon. She calls Janelle. They talk for two minutes and 15 seconds. That's consistent with what we heard from Janelle that, you know, they hooked up in the morning. And then they kind of spent the morning together. Now, from 12.15 until 3.07 p.m., there's, again, constant communication with Javier. So they're not together at that time. There's calls back and forth. There's texts back and forth. There's a whole bunch. And the last communication through the phones with Javier happens at 3.07 p.m., which, again, lines up with what Claire said. Claire seems to have a pretty accurate record of the day. She says that Javier met them at Target around 3 o'clock. We see the last communication between Becky and Javier on the phone is at 3.07 p.m. So presumably that would be when they connected and they met up at Target. 
which was supposed to be, again, around three. Now, she did have a, a little bit of communications with her parents, I think, during during the daytime. So she calls home at 12.54 p.m. She calls the landline, 27 seconds. Don't know if there was an answer there or not. Then there's a series of back and forth calls at 1.30 p.m. and again at 2.23. So there was some communication back and forth with the house. At 1.56 p.m., she sends a text to Jacob Santiago, her ex that she had broken up with uh, a couple of days before this. Uh, and so th- during the day, during the morning, during the nighttime, in these, in these, the early part of the day, we have no communication with Robert at all. We have the one text to Jacob. So if we kind of back things up here again, sorry, this, I didn't well, I realize when I wrote these notes, I didn't write them linearly. But I'll back up again. So we seem to have confirmation that Becky was not with Javier until 307. And then seems to be, as Claire said, they met up. Now, remember, Claire also said, and she seemed that she was referencing something, that she had some kind of an anchor point when she was talking to the police. She says that Becky left her house at 3.50 p.m. It seems like it sounds like she's looking at something and says 3.50. That's when she left. That, again, seems pretty accurate because we don't see much going on with Becky's phone. You know, we see you know, after three o'clock, that's when Javier's with them. Then at 406, uh, that Josh Ernie calls again at 406. That call goes to voicemail. And then we have Becky's last call from her cell phone ever happens at 414 p.m. She calls Josh back and they talk for two minutes and 43 seconds. Now, one thing that I want to point out uh, is we're just kind of with a little bit of information we have so far how things fit with what we know and what's been said. So one thing that caught my attention was that Javier said, he told the police that he said he talked to Becky asking her how her day went. But then if you remember, he said in the, the officer said, how, how did her day go? And he said, good. I spent the entire day with her. But when we look at the records, it looks like, you know, and maybe he meant, you know, via phone, but it looks like she went to his house and slept we assume I, she had to sleep at some point, so I assume she slept uh, from like six in the morning until around noon. Then she calls Janelle and then she leaves. She has all this conversation with Javier via the phone. It doesn't look like she hooked up with Javier until after three. And then at three fifty, she's gone. So she only was actually with Javier for about 45 minutes from based on these phone records. So that's just something to keep in the back of your mind. But now backing up to where we get into these detailed call records. Again, at 4.14 p.m., this is when we believe Becky is driving up the hill, heading back to home where she's going to lose cell service. She calls and talks to Josh Ernie. They talk for two minutes and 43 seconds. And then we get into the detailed call log. Now, this call log, like I said, this is everybody, all the major players, all in order. And, and if, you're, if you get a little overwhelmed with this, don't worry because we're going to come back through it again, but we're going to break it down by person. Uh, so you get a better, clear idea and a better picture of what each person was doing that day. So at 4.40 p.m., Javier texts Becky. So she gets a text to him. Seems like she must not be. The text goes through on her end. So she still has cell service at that point. Javier tells the police when in his interview that he thinks she got home around 5. That seems consistent with the fact that he got a text through it at 5.40 p.m. She gets home around five and immediately gets on the phone. One thing I can tell you from looking at these records, Becky loved her phone or the phone. She was on it all the time, not just a day, every day. I mean, you, you can literally tell when she's sleeping because there's just constant, constant activity on her phone all the time. So she gets home at five 
at 511. Uh, she makes a phone call from the landline to Jacob again, to Jacob Santiago. Now, that call doesn't go through. Uh, Jacob's phone has no service at this point. And we'll get into all that later. I'll let you know if somebody's phone doesn't have service. Uh, but later, I'll, get, I'll break that down uh, for each of the people who lose service. Because one thing you're going to find out is, you know, uh, what a lot of people say about the case, as we mentioned on Friday, is, well, Robert and Christian's phone disappeared and didn't have service during the time of the murders. Well, that's pretty much everybody phone disappeared like there's they're not the only ones whose phones were nowhere to be found during this time um but when i read this it seems to me like there's a pretty good explanation for robert and christian at least but anyway back to this timing 511 becky calls jacob 13 second duration no tower doesn't connect then at 512 one minute later she calls javier and they talk for 20 minutes so she just spent and, and you get an idea of their relationship they talk a lot They talked all night. They talked all afternoon while she was with her friends. He went and met her with her friends. He texted her while she was driving home. She's been home for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and they get right back on the phone, and they talk for 20 minutes. After they get off that call, Javier calls a number I haven't been able to track down yet. It ends in 4609, talks to that person for three minutes, gets off that call. By the way, Javier likes his phone, too. Oh, Oh, I should also point out. You'll notice when I'm reading off things I got from Javier's phone records, they're in whole minutes. Uh, And that's just because that's how his records came through. They're only in whole minutes. So you'll see a lot of them that say one minute from what I'm told from Ian. That just means, and and it's also written in the report. uh, All that means is that uh, it was was less than a minute. Oftentimes, the ones that say one minute didn't connect. uh, But we can't really tell unless we have the person on the other side's records as well. To compare it to, and we don't have all of those. For example, at 540, Javier calls Nick Corline. He's the one that lives up there in the in Pinion Pines. It shows one minute or less. Well, we don't know if that call connected, and we don't have Nick Corline's records. But I've been from what I've read and understand, if it just shows one minute, it's more than likely not a connected call. Also, another thing to point out is that remember, this is 2006. Cell phone use is very different. Back 15 years, 15, 16 years ago, because back in 2006, you actually had there were there weren't unlimited plans. You you were charged by the minute. So people were a lot more careful about you know how much time they spent on their phone. Also, cell coverage was not great back then they, with everybody. When we get into the, the bigger records over multiple days, we see everybody has periods of time where they don't have service. And that just was common back then. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So getting back into the timing. 540, uh, Javier calls Nick. Now, I'll break this all down later, but essentially, Javier admits to this, or he, he acknowledges this to the police. His records seem to confirm it. Javier drove up the mountain behind Becky. She goes up there at 5, about 5.45 or so. Javier also goes up the mountain. We see where his phone's connected in the valley, and then it loses service, and then it starts connecting in a place called Anza, which is, or Anza, which is just further west from, so like drove past Pinion Pines down Highway 74 uh, and started connecting in Anza. Uh, and then it starts connecting after that at a place called Aguanga, which is further to the west past Anza. And then back to Anza, back to no service, back to the valley. So he was up driving around the mountain at that time. So after he calls Nick Corline, that's when he's in the valley. Then he loses service for a little while. 
Then we jump into Jacob Santiago gets a call from a number that ends in 6391. Don't know what it is. It doesn't connect because Jacob has no service pretty much all day. Uh, at 554, Becky calls Javier, and that call doesn't connect because he has no service. Then at uh, 554, a number that ends in 5484 calls Jacob Santiago. Doesn't connect. He has no service. And eight minutes later, that same number calls him again at 546. Doesn't connect because he has no service. They leave a minute and 37 second voicemail. And that's not the, the voicemail wouldn't be that long. Uh, but the first 30 seconds or so of that would be the phone ringing. And then we go back to Becky at 556. She calls Javier again. Doesn't connect. He has no service. Javier gets a third call from the five, uh, 5484 number. Doesn't connect again. Uh, then we get to 604. Now, this is, remember, the boys got off, off work at the water park right around 6, Robert and Christian. At, excuse me, 603, Christian calls Robert. They talk for one minute and one second. Then at 614 p.m., Becky from the landline calls Robert, and they speak for two minutes and 46 seconds. This is that call I was telling you about earlier that we know happened because we see it on Robert's cell records. But it's not on Becky's home records or on the landline records. No, I, we don't have an explanation for why that's the case, but we know the call happened and we know it's not in the records. I also want to point out, this is the only time that Becky and Robert spoke during this whole day. This one time. Uh, the rest of the calls you're going to hear all went to voicemail. Uh, so whatever happened that night, if Robert and Christian were the perpetrators, it all occurred based on this two-minute and 46-second phone conversation that happened at 6.14 p.m. Right after that call at uh, 6.18, then Robert calls Christian, and they talk for three minutes and nine seconds. Uh, one minute later at 6.19, Javier calls Becky's landline. They talk for 12 minutes, and this is when he's in Anza. So he's gone up past Pinion Pines, and he's over in Anza. Uh, at 6.20, Jacob Santiago turns his phone on for the first time. It's been off. Uh, looks like off, not necessarily out of service, but off. Uh, he turns his phone on, checks his voicemail, calls his own voicemail line, checks his voicemail for a little over a minute, and then it goes dark again after that. Uh, we don't, and then we don't see anything from his phone for quite a while later. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At 
at 622, Christian calls Jackie. That's his girlfriend at the time. They talk for a minute and 57 seconds. At 639, Javier calls Becky's landline. Now he's in Aguanga, which is the town west of Anza. That call doesn't seem to connect. It's only 13 seconds long. Uh, and then one minute later, Becky calls him right back from the landline. Uh, and they speak for five minutes and 39 seconds. He's still in Aguanga. Now, this is the call that Javier refers to in his, if, you, if some of you I know have re-listened to his interview. Uh, he goes through his phone while he's talking to the police, and and he says the last the last he has the police ask when's the last time you spoke with her. He says, "Oh, you mean on the phone?" Uh, and he looks and says, "Oh, it was five minutes and thirty nine seconds." He says this while I was driving through Anza and I lost service while I was talking to her. Uh, the the tower he's connected to is a Guanga, so I'm guessing he was probably in between there. You know, he was still connected to the tower from the other town, and he lost that service when he got into Anza. But that's the last time that Javier actually speaks to Becky is when she called him from the landline at 640 for five minutes and 39 seconds. At six minutes and 43 seconds, uh, a number from a different area code ends in 0465, texts Javier. Then at 645, uh, Jackie, Christian's girlfriend, calls Christian. They talk for eight minutes and 11 seconds. Uh, and then at 646, now Javier's still up the mountain. He's in Anza. He calls his friend Corey Donovan, and they speak on the phone for about four minutes. Again, that's a whole number, so it could be any time between three and four minutes they spoke. At 653, and this is where things start to get a little strange. At 653, Becky's landline calls Robert. 33 seconds, he doesn't answer, goes to voicemail. But Robert does have service. At 6.59, so six minutes later, she calls Robert again. Again, he has service. The phone rings. 33 seconds, goes to voicemail. She hangs up. At 7.01, or excuse me, at 7 o'clock, Robert calls 411. Remember, he had said in his interview that that he was going to do some stuff with Christian. They were going to go paintballing or whatever they were going to do. His mom said she wanted him to go to a mass first. Robert said he called 411, then he called Sacred Heart Church. That's what we see here at seven o'clock. Robert calls four one one for a minute and two seconds. Then one minute later, he calls Sacred Heart Church. Thirty three seconds. It sounds like he just heard a voicemail that says that they're closed or whatever. Then at seven o two, we have another number we don't know five four eight four, and these are numbers by the way that I've looked up and just haven't been able to identify. Uh, this number calls Jacob Santiago, and he has no service. It goes straight to voicemail. Then at 7.04 p.m., Robert calls his friend, Andrew Geyer. Uh, it's a 41-second call. Don't know if it connected or if it just went to voicemail. Then at 7.05 p.m., Becky calls Christian. So remember, so she talked to Robert, then they hung up, and then she called Robert twice, which went to voicemail, and now she's calling Christian, which is just four minutes after she talked, five minutes after she talked to Robert, or tried to call Robert. Christian's phone does have service. He doesn't answer it. It goes to voicemail. And then at 7.06, Andrew Geyer calls Robert back. Uh, That's their friend. Uh, They talk for two minutes and 33 seconds. Then at 7.09, Christian calls Becky's landline. So Becky had just called his cell phone. He didn't answer it. He calls her landline. And this is one of the things that Ian was able to help me understand. So on the landline record, it shows that the call is one second long. Now, the billing on that would begin the second they answered the call. On Christian's side, on the cell phone, it shows 24 seconds long. 
The cell phone will start billing the minute you hit send on the phone. Every ring is five seconds, according to Ian. So what this looks like happened is Christian let the call go to voicemail when Becky called him, called her back. And I think this is critical when we're trying to understand behavior here. So he calls her back. The phone starts to ring. It rings four times. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, rings four times would be 20 seconds. And then three seconds later, when it's, you know, it hasn't rang for the fifth time, Becky answered and he hung up immediately when she answered. So the, so the call connected. The call connected before it would have went to a voicemail after 30 seconds. When the call connected, the billing started on Becky's end. As soon as it connects for that one second, Christian hangs up. And it seems as though that that Becky was she was trying very hard to reconnect there uh, because one minute later, uh, less than a minute later, she calls Christian back from the landline. Uh, that's 22 second call. He has service, but he doesn't answer. And then we have a weird series of calls. So from 711 in 53 seconds to 712 in 53 seconds. So one minute. In one minute period, Becky calls her own cell phone three times. Now, these calls are very interesting because they are there for 11 seconds, 13 seconds, 34 seconds. This is what I'm talking about with Ian in that long phone call. He says that he can tell from Becky's cell records that Becky's phone had service during this time. That it wasn't registered because she hadn't placed a call or answered a call. But it had service that that there was a mobile terminating number, meaning the call from the landline connected to her phone three times right there. Boom, boom, boom. When he was looking at those records, the and he says that he's 97 percent certain that her phone had service during this time. When he's looking at these records and and also when the police looked at these records, it seems they believe that someone from home was calling Becky as though she wasn't there. Because there was service on the phone line. It gets really tricky because the the calls are sandwiched so close together. So you have Becky calling Christian, Christian calling Becky back, and then he hangs up. And then Becky calls Christian again. I shouldn't say Becky. The phone calls Christian again. And then the landline calls Becky cell. The landline calls Becky cell. The landline calls Becky cell. Then the landline calls Robert who the, that call at 713 does connect and shows that Robert is connected to a tower down in the valley. So it's not like she's down there with him. He's all the way down in the valley. We know that because of the tower he's connected to, and he ignores that call. It goes to voicemail again. Then the landline, 35 seconds later, calls Javier's cell phone. He doesn't have service, so that goes to voicemail. Then... Uh, 13 minutes after that, the landline calls Robert again, and this time Robert doesn't have service. So again, there's no answer. That goes to voicemail. So that series of calls there between 7.09 p.m. and 7.13 p.m., uh, excuse me, 7.14 p.m., so in a five-minute period, we've got seven calls coming in and out of the landline. Um, but it appears as though Becky is making those calls based on how everything's kind of sandwiched together with, you know, with all the calls. But for some reason, her phone has service. I, I asked Ian if, if it's possible that she could have been calling to check her voicemail 
because, you know, you have that missed call from Robert or from Christian where he hung up. Maybe she thought, I want to call my voicemail and see if they tried my cell. That's possible. But the problem is the phone's got to ring a number of times before the voicemail will pick up. And then during the greeting, you press pound and then it would say, you know, you have so many messages and you got to go through the the series of, you know, you got to put in your pin number, uh, your pin, and then you, you know, press different commands to listen to the messages. Now that's possible. And I'm leaning towards now when I'm looking at the full record, not just at her cell phone records and the landline records, I'm leaning towards now. That's what was happening. And this is what I think happened there. I think her phone did must've had somehow some service or some sort of weird anomaly allowed the phone to connect without registering. It doesn't, it doesn't show a tower it's connected to, but it shows that the number came through and that's, that's what Ian explained. I still have a hard time understanding it. He says he's pretty certain, 95, 97% certain it connected. But what I think happened was, is she called her cell phone to see if she had a voicemail. And it's consistent. You can see she, I mean, she will blow a person's phone up if she wants to get a hold of them or call them repeatedly over and over and over again. But so I, what I think maybe happened is she called, the phone picked up, she pressed pound and she heard, you have no new messages. And she hung up. That's why it's only 11 seconds because she's not actually listening to a voicemail. She hangs up and you know, there's, you remember there's a, there's delay. This is before visual voicemail and the stuff we have now. You had to call a number to check your voicemail back then. But you know, she did that just seconds from the time that Christian had called and hung up. So she could have thought, oh, maybe he's still leaving the voicemail. So she hangs up, she calls and she does it again. 13 seconds. Again, says you have no voicemail. She hangs up, waits a few more seconds, tries it again. Uh, and then there's, uh, again, it says there's no voicemail. Uh, so at that point she gives up on it and just returns back to calling Robert again, but none of these calls to Robert show up in the landline records. They only show up in Robert's cell phone records. There's that confusing bit there, you know, from seven Oh nine to seven thirteen. It's pretty confusing, but what we do know is when she made the seven thirteen call to Robert after she called her cell phone three times that the, that call connected to his phone at a tower that was down in the valley, and he ignored it and went to voicemail. Then the call to Javier, uh, which, again, he had no service, went to voicemail. Then, again, another call to Robert. This time, his phone was off or out of service. So the state alleges that must be once he was driving up the mountain and he lost service, or he could have just shut his phone off. We don't know. There's no way to know. Then we go back to 7.33 p.m., a number we weren't able to identify, ends with 2122, text sends a text message to Javier. Then Becky's home line at 7.34 calls Christian again. Then at 7.35 calls her cell phone again for seven seconds this time. And again, that one looks like it connected. Uh, We don't have any explanation for that. Then at 7.35, Becky calls Javier but he has no signal, goes to voicemail. And so there's, you'll see if you're reading through the list, you see a little star there that's indicating that the call shows up on Becky's line, does not show up on Javier's because he doesn't have signal at the time. 7.37, two minutes later, she calls him again. Um, less than two minutes later, calls him again. Same thing, he has no service, goes straight to voicemail, two seconds. And, and that, by the way, at 7.37 p.m., 7.37 and 17 seconds to be exact, when Becky's home calls Javier and he has no service, 
That is the last outgoing call for Becky, either from her cell phone or from the landline. It is the last call that is answered. That is the end of her activity. Uh, and we'll get into that when we go through her records uh, individually in a little bit. But that's that's the end of them. So at 735, she's off the phone, which is out of character for her. But, you know, and, and so that could be someone showed up. That could be she started getting ready for work. That could be that she took a nap. We don't know. But after 735, it's crickets from her. Moving along, this is already going much longer than I thought it was going to go. Uh, moving along at 730, uh, 7.45, Javier is now back down in the valley and has a signal again, and he calls Jacob Santiago, who doesn't have a signal, so it goes to voicemail. 7.47, or Javier calls Corey Donovan. Uh, looks like no answer. It's listed as a minute. Uh, 7.50, Corey Donovan calls Javier. That's a minute. We don't know if that connected. 7.51, Javier calls Corey Donovan again. That's a minute, so we don't know if it connected. 8.05, Javier calls a number that, it seems to be an important number based on the, some of the timings, uh, but the the call, the number ends in 0317, haven't been able to identify it, uh, but he calls that number at 8.05, that's a minute, don't know if it connected. That number calls him back, that's a minute, we don't know if it's connected. And there's a lot of, you're, you're sensing a pattern here, but there's a, this weird thing where there's these constant calls back and forth. And I, I'm wondering if if there's overlap, like one person's listening to the voicemail while the other one comes in. I don't know because there's so many unanswered calls. But it's not like like it's not like Javier's MIA right now. You know, he's making a call, they're calling him back. He's making a call, they're calling him back, and we see quite a bit of that. Now at 8:33 p.m., uh, Robert's girlfriend Sarah tries to call him. He has no service, which means his phone is either off or out of service. And I want to point out, too, I'm saying for him that it was off or out of service, whereas I'm sounding much more uh, clear about Javier, that he was up the mountain, and that's why he had no service. The reason for that is because that's what Javier says he was doing, and the records seem to match that. Robert says he was down in the valley the whole time, so there's a chance it could be off. Um, so it could be either one. But at 833, Sarah tries to call Robert and doesn't go through. At 846, she tries again, doesn't go through. Uh, no service there. Uh, at 8:48, that 0317 number calls Javier again. That's a two-minute call. At at 8:59 p.m., Sarah calls Robert again. No service. Goes to voicemail. At 9:24, Nick Crum, who's a new character for us, uh, calls Javier. That's a two-minute call. And at 9:27, Javier calls the 0317 number again. That's a two-minute call. At 8 uh, 9:47, Nick Crum calls Javier. One minute probably didn't go through. 953, Nick Crum calls again, uh, calls Javier, didn't go through. And so that is as far as you know where people were at. At 929, we know Javier was actively using his phone. He placed a call to 0317, that number. After that, until about 1020, Javier's phone is connected, but he's not using it. So what we see here is at 947, Nick Crum called Javier's phone for one minute. It connected to a tower in the valley, but he didn't answer it. 953, same thing. Nick calls him again. It connects. He doesn't answer it. Now we jump back to uh, Robert and Christian at 954 p.m. Their buddy Andrew Geyer that they had talked to earlier calls Robert, goes to voicemail. He has no service. Uh, then Andrew Geyer calls Christian. He doesn't answer, goes to voicemail. Now it looked to me on the records like Christian didn't have service. It didn't list a cell site, but on the report, it says that it was they were unable to determine where his phone was. 
uh, during the the time of the murder. Because look at nine fifty five, we're talking about right now is when the ambulances or the the fire trucks are on the way. They're on the way to the house. Tim Summerlee's on his way up to the house. All that's happening right now. Robert and Christian both get a call from Andrew Geyer, and neither of them answer it. And we know Robert didn't connect to a tower there. And we jump to 10.14 p.m., and at 10.14, 10.18, and then again at 10.18, a few seconds later, a number that ends in 9162 that I've been unable to identify yet, uh, that number calls Jacob Santiago three times, all three times he has no service and goes to his voicemail. Then at 10.23 p.m., uh, we have Jacob Santiago calls Becky, calls her cell phone. But what's interesting about this is he still doesn't have service. So what it looks like is he tried to call Becky, but his phone you know, made the attempt to call because it lists no minutes for the call either. There's just that he tried to call it. He couldn't connect to a tower. And so the call failed. So he still had no service there. And that's interesting because earlier, and we'll get into it with him. uh, I'll try to be as brief as I can, but uh, we'll we'll get into it with him that it appears his phone is off earlier. It's just no tower, no tower, no tower. All of a sudden, boom, he makes a phone call to his own voicemail. And then boom, no tower, no tower, no tower. So it looks like it was off, turned it on to make a voicemail back off. Whereas here, it looks like he's in a place where he doesn't have service or he doesn't have strong service, which, you know, is not to say this is the area he was at. But that's what it's like driving down Highway 74 when you get close to the valley because there's all the switchbacks. You kind of come around an area where you've got a clear line of sight, you've got a signal, and then you go around the next corner and it's gone again. Uh, but that's at 1023. Uh, also at 1023, Robert is now back in service. Robert calls his voicemail uh, to check his voicemail, and he's and he's hitting a tower in Cathedral City, which if you're familiar with the valley, is the north part of the valley. You've got Palm Desert, Rancho Mirage, Palm Springs, and then beyond all that, way up at the north part of the valley, which is where Robert lived, that's Cathedral City. That's the tower he hits. We're going to get into all that location stuff later, um, but that time is very important, and, we'll, and I'll talk about it here in just a minute. Uh, 10.23, he calls and checks his voicemail. Now, at 10.25, Jacob tries calling Becky again. Same story. Doesn't connect, doesn't have service. At 1042, this is where Javier reappears. You know, he, he's, his phone's, he hasn't touched his phone. He's had two calls come in, but he didn't answer them. He hasn't touched his phone since 929. Uh, but I also want to point out that his phone during these times was in the valley. When he placed that call at 929, his phone was down in the valley. That's the tower it was hitting. Um, but now, about an hour and, and 12 minutes later, Javier sends a text message to Becky. Then at uh, 1043, Robert calls his girlfriend, Sarah, uh, after checking his voicemail. They talk for a minute and 19 seconds. Then at 1044, we have a third attempt from Jacob Santiago trying to call Becky cell, but again, he still doesn't have service. Then at 1059, Robert calls Sarah again. They talk for a minute and 58 seconds. And then this is a big one. One thing you didn't notice throughout all these calls was anything from the landline calling Denny's. Becky never calls Denny's. And of course, we have the problem that we're aware of with the uh, fact that we have calls going out of that line that aren't showing up on the record. So she could have. But this really jumped out at me. And this is one of the things that Amanda helped me figure out. At 11.01 p.m., Javier calls Denny's. It's a one minute call. He calls Denny's landline for one minute at 11.01 p.m. 
Then at 11.02, he tries Becky's cell, goes to voicemail. Then at 11.34, Denny's landline calls Becky's cell. And that call obviously goes straight to voicemail because her, her at this time is another one of those times when Ian, our expert, said that it looked like Bell, Becky's phone did have service, as though it didn't burn up in the fire, but it was out somewhere where it connected. Uh, but the call goes to voicemail from Denny's. Because this call comes in at 1134, I want to hear what you guys think about it. But I kind of am starting to think that her start time that night might have been 11. I'm just thinking from my days working in the restaurant, if someone's supposed to be on shift, how long do you wait before you call them and ask them where the hell they are? Uh, if she's supposed to be there at 11, 1134 seems like a reasonable time to call her and say, hey, where are you at? But, you know, and then we don't know what happened at that 11 o'clock call when Javier called. We have no idea. He doesn't he never says anything about it. And I don't know that anybody knew it happened until we figured it out just you know a couple of hours ago. But if her shift started at 10 or 9, it doesn't seem reasonable to me that they would wait an hour and a half, certainly not two and a half hours before they would call Becky and ask her where she's at. But we can we can we can uh, ponder on that later. What we know is at 1134, Denny's called Becky's cell. Uh, then at 1140, Javier calls Becky's cell again, goes to voicemail. Uh, then at 1154, now Jacob Santiago finally has service again, and he calls his voicemail. Uh, he's down in the valley again, checks his voicemail for a minute and 33 seconds. And then that's the end of the calls for that night, for the night of the murders. So one thing that that, that jumped out at me was the fact that uh, we have no calls from, that we have no attempt at communication from Javier to Becky. And that's just the only thing that jumped out that was different than normal. It's not abnormal at all. Remember, I told you when you're looking through these records, you see lots and lots of calls that don't get answered, call that doesn't get answered, call that doesn't get answered, back and forth, back and forth. Well, the same thing was true with, with Javier and Becky. But here you have, he calls work. He calls Denny's at 11 o'clock first, which, which is odd. We don't see that anywhere else. And then you have Javier calls Becky's cell and she doesn't answer at 11.40 p.m., but then nothing, nothing for the entire night. Nobody is, is, is calling anybody throughout the rest of the night. None of these people that we have records for. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, so we're moving on to the next morning. Um, uh, and again, we see some consistencies here with what Robert told the police. You know, where he said that he was staying across the street uh, with his cousin, Marty, and that in the morning, his mom, who's a teacher, had got up and called him a couple of times. Well, we see that 6.49 a.m., Kathleen Pape calls Robert, goes to voicemail, 33 seconds, 6.49 and 47 seconds. She calls right back. Again, looks like it goes to voicemail at 8.12 a.m., uh, Robert must be up and he makes a call to his girlfriend, Sarah, and they talk for 27 minutes. And then, and then we have Javier gets is the, is the next one to be awake at eight forty six AM. Javier gets up 
And his first call is to Claire Ripito, who is Becky's friend, the one who they were hanging out with uh, the day before. Calls Claire for two minutes. Don't know because we don't have Claire's records if that call connected or if the call went through and he went to voicemail. But it's over a minute, so it's, it's between a minute and two minutes. Then at 8.46, Javier, call, or excuse me, 8.48, Javier calls Becky's cell phone. At 8.53, he calls Nick Coraline. At 8.53, we have that Robert calls his cousin Marty. That's a 31-second call. Probably didn't connect. Uh, then at 8.54, Javier calls that 0317 number again. That's, a, that's an important one that I, I want to try and figure out, and I'm going to keep working on who that belongs to because Javier calls that, numbers a, that number a lot. Uh, but that's another one-minute call. Probably didn't connect. 8.54, Robert calls Sarah again. Doesn't connect. It's a three-second call. 8.56, Javier calls Janelle Packard or Pickard, uh, who was the other friend that uh, they were hanging out with the day before. That's a one-minute call, may or may not have connected, probably not. 8.57, Javier calls Corey Donovan, his friend. Another one-minute call. And then at 8.59, that 0317 number calls Javier. That's a two-minute call. At 9 o'clock, Javier calls Nick Coraline, one minute. 9.05, he calls Corey Donovan, one minute. 9.06, 9.06, he calls a number that ends in 3681, one minute. Uh, and then at 9.06 and 55 seconds, Robert calls his cousin Marty again. Uh, and that's a 50-second call. So that could or could not have connected. There's no way to know. Uh, and then at 8.0, excuse me, 9.08, Javier calls a number that has a different area code, ends in 0645, one minute. 9.09, Javier calls Becky's cell for one minute, uh, which obviously didn't connect. Uh, 9.10, Javier calls that 3681 number again, one minute. 9.11 in the morning, Javier calls Nick Corline again, one minute. Uh, 9.15, Robert calls a number that ends in 1687 for two minutes and 51 seconds. Haven't been able to identify that one. 9.39, Javier calls that 0465 number for two minutes. Uh, 9.42, Javier calls a number that ends in 7312, and that definitely connects. That's a six-minute phone call. Don't know who that's to. 9.52, Robert calls Sarah again. They talk for two minutes or minute 59 seconds. 10.04, Javier calls Nick Corline for two minutes. 10.06, he calls Becky Sell for one minute. Obviously doesn't connect. Uh, 10.06, Robert calls Sarah again. 28 seconds goes to voicemail. 10.17, Corey calls, excuse me, Javier calls Corey Donovan again. Uh, One minute probably doesn't connect. Uh, A couple seconds later, he calls again. This time it does connect to Corey Donovan. Three minutes, 1021. He calls Claire Ripito again. One minute. Now, keep in mind, that's three calls now to Claire Ripito. Is it three or two? Two calls so far to Claire Ripito. Uh, Remember when he spoke to the police, he told them that, uh, that he found out about the fire from Claire because she had called him three times that morning to tell him about it. Um, what we see on the record is that as of 1021, Javier has called Claire twice. This call doesn't connect. At 1022, Claire calls him back, and they speak for four minutes. At 1025, uh, we see Robert calling Sarah again for two minutes, 45 seconds. 1025, Javier calls Robert. Um, so there's there's our first call from Javier to Robert. At um, 1025, two minutes and three seconds. So it seems like at that point, uh, Javier has figured out that something happened to Becky because now he's calling Robert. Um, so it's likely that that information did come from that 1022 call from Claire Ripito um, when she was calling him back after his two calls to her. 
So the, again, 1025, Javier calls Robert uh, for two minutes. Uh, 1028, Javier calls Robert again, doesn't connect, four seconds. Uh, a few seconds later, calls Robert again, doesn't connect, 31 seconds. Uh, then 1028 a.m., Robert calls Javier back, that's 15 seconds. Then at 1029, Javier calls Robert, three seconds. 1029 again, Robert calls Javier, 27 seconds. So you can see what's happening here. They're they're, they're, I think they're catching each other's voicemail because they're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, 1029, Robert calls Javi again, 21 seconds. And then finally at 1029 and 58 seconds, Javier calls Robert and they connect and they speak for four minutes and 21 seconds. Uh, after that call at 1034, Robert calls Sarah and they talk for 16 minutes and nine seconds. Then at 1037, Javier receives a call from a blocked number. It's a two minute call. Uh, no way of knowing who that's from. I do want to point out that most law enforcement phones, uh, cell phones come through as blocked numbers. At least that's been in my experience. So I wonder if that may have been his father calling at that point. At 1046, Javier calls Claire Ripito again. Uh, that's a one minute call. And then at 1053, he calls Robert again and they talk for five minutes and seven seconds. Again, this is consistent with what Robert told police that Javier had called him multiple times throughout the day as he was getting more information. Also, it looks like at this point he's talked to Robert, he's or he's talked to Claire, and then he called Robert, and then he talked to what I think could have been his father, and then he calls Robert again. Just keep that in mind where, where there was the big question about how he got the information about the wheelbarrow uh, and what Javier knew. So it looks like and he said as Javier got more information, he kept calling him. So there's two calls that definitely connected after he received calls. 11 in the morning, Claire Ripito calls Javier. One minute, doesn't connect. Uh, and then just a few seconds after that, uh, Jacob Santiago calls Javier 10 seconds, doesn't connect also only shows up on, on Jacob's records, not Javier's. Uh, so it seems like maybe Javier didn't have a signal then. And then writes also right at 11 o'clock after the couple of calls with, he's always had a couple calls with Javier. Uh, he's called Sarah in between those calls. Uh, now at 11 o'clock, Robert calls Christian. They talk for three minutes and 16 seconds. That's their only contact that morning. Uh, 11.02, Javier calls Nick Corline, one minute. 11.10, Javier calls Claire Ripito, two minutes. And then 11.13, Javier again calls that 0317 number, two minutes. And then uh, we start a long string. Jacob starts uh, making a bunch of calls here. Um, so at 11.25, Jacob calls Javier, doesn't connect. Uh, and what I want to point out here, too, is during this time, this is when I think that Javier was interviewed. And when we read the report, it said uh, the, the police report says at about 830 in the morning that uh, they got noticed that there were some kids, you know, some teenagers that wanted to talk to them, the officers. And that was um, Nick Corline, Bo Nash and Javier. So we've been thinking this whole time that happened at 830 in the morning. I don't think that it did. Uh, because Javier's phone is in use all morning down in the valley until about 1130 in the morning. And then it goes dark for um, what is it? it's, it's, it's close to three hours. And that's when I believe he was up in the valley. And we'll keep going through that and we'll break that down. So, uh, again, 1125, Jacob calls Javier, no answer. Uh, 1127, Claire calls Javier, no answer. 1132, Javier calls Nick Corline. So he's still down in the valley now. 11. Uh, 39, uh, Javier calls Corey Donovan. They talk for three minutes. And then after that, so that 1139 call to Corey Donovan, that's the last call we have uh, where we see that um, 
Javier's number connected to a cell tower. So there's a whole list here. I'm not even going to read them all. I'll just count them for you. Starting at 1210, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 calls uh, from Jacob Santiago. He bounces between calling Becky Cell, calling Javier, calling Becky's landline, Javier, Javier, Becky Cell, Becky Cell, Javier, Javier, Becky's landline, Javier, Javier. So during that time, Javier's up the mountain. We know that he doesn't have service because we see the calls on Jacob's end. We don't see him on Javier's end. So I believe that's it was around noon, one o'clock when he was up there giving his interview. So that changes things a little bit for us because we know now when he was up there. At 1.46 p.m., Sarah calls Robert. They talk for a little over two minutes. 1.50, she calls him again. 33 seconds, looks like it goes to voicemail. Uh, then there's that last call from at 1.53 from Jacob calling Javier. 156, Robert calls Sarah back, and they end up talking 49 minutes, 45 seconds. At 216, this is when Javier finally comes back into cell service. So he's come down the mountain. At 216, his first call is to his mother, Bonnie Garcia. That's a two-minute call. 218, he calls Jacob Santiago. They talk for three minutes. 223, he calls his father, Javier Sr. That's a one-minute call, probably didn't connect. 229, Javier calls that 0465 number, uh, and that's a two-minute call. 2.30, 2.30, Javier Sr. calls Javi back. One minute, doesn't look like they connected. At 2.35, Corey Donovan calls Javier. That's a four-minute call. And then this next one is another important phone call. At 2.41, Javier called Denny's. The reason this is important is because there's been information that Javier called Denny's and told them that Becky was in a wheelbarrow. Robert says Javier told them Becky was in a wheelbarrow. We can now look at the phone records and see the string of calls when Javier was at the scene, when Javier was talking to people who knew what was going on at the scene, when he called Robert, and now we see at 241 that he did, in fact, call Denny's uh, for, for two minutes. After that, 243, he calls the 0465 number again. 244, he calls his mother again. 246, so now he's been up to the scene and back, and he calls Robert again. One minute, doesn't connect. 247, uh, Javier's dad, uh, Javi Sr., calls Javier. They talk for four minutes. That does connect. Then at 251, Javier calls Robert again, and this time they do connect for four minutes. Uh, and there's there's more calls in there that I didn't that I haven't added to the list yet. And of course, the records go beyond this and again before it. Um, but that gives you a pretty good picture. And I'm sure right now you're possibly regretting turning on this episode to listen to me read phone records for all this time. But I didn't know any other way to get them out to you. And uh, it's definitely way longer than I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to try to try to jam through the rest of this because I do want to get out to you the individual records. So, and we're going to start with Becky here. So I'm opening up Becky's record. So these are just her calls. So it'll give you an idea. So what I'm trying to do is put my, myself in the mindset of each person and get an idea of what they're doing. Um, so you remember, you know, she talked to Javier all night. Uh, she sent a text to Jacob Santiago, uh, early afternoon. She was with Claire and Janelle. She hooks up with Javier at three. She's there. He's with them for maybe 45 minutes. She heads up the mountain. She calls that Josh guy back. Then she's out of service. So now once she gets home and then on her way home, she gets a text from Javier at 440. So now this is just calls related to Becky. Once she got home. So starting at 5.11 p.m., and hopefully this will make things a little clearer for you. At 5.11, Becky, and these are all from the landline. At 5.11, Becky calls Jacob Santiago. He's got no service. 
At 5.12, Becky calls Javier. They talk for 20 minutes. So they get off that call at 5.32. 20 minutes later, 5.54, Becky calls Javier again. He's got no service. 5.56, so two minutes later, she calls him again. He's got no service. At 6.14, so now we're about 20 minutes later, this is when Becky finally calls Robert. So again, they didn't speak all night. They didn't speak all day. He definitely wasn't the first person on her mind when she got home. She called Jacob first. She called Javier, talked to him for a long time after they got the phone, continued to try to call him. Uh, she's been home for over an hour uh, when she calls Robert, and they talk for 2 minutes 50 and 46 seconds, and including ring time. So it could be basically just a little over 2 minutes. Uh, as soon as she gets off that call, she gets off that call at 6.17. At 6.19, Javier calls Becky at home. That's when he's in Anza. They talk for 12 minutes. Uh, they get off that phone, at, that call at 6.31, 8 minutes later. Javier calls her again. Uh, this time he's in uh, Aguanga and there's no answer there. So Becky didn't pick up. And then one minute later, Becky calls him back at 640 and they talk for five minutes and 39 seconds. The last time we know that she actually talked to Javier. And again, this is why he's up the mountain at Aguanga. And then they got off the phone at 645. Eight minutes later, Becky calls Robert again and he has service but doesn't answer. And then six minutes later, she calls Robert again. He has service, doesn't answer. And six minutes after that, she calls Christian. He has service, he doesn't answer. And then four minutes after that, Christian calls her. As soon as she answers the phone, he hangs up. And then one minute after that, Becky calls Christian again. He has service, doesn't answer, goes to voicemail. Then, and so at this point, we're at 7.10 p.m. At 7.11 Becky calls her cell phone, 11 seconds, 7, 12 and 17 seconds. She calls her cell phone again, 13 seconds, 7, 12 and 53 seconds. She calls her cell phone again, 34 seconds at 7, 13 and 50 seconds. She calls Robert again. And again, he has service, doesn't answer it, goes to his voicemail, 7, 14 and 45 seconds. So less than a minute later, she calls Javier. He has no service, goes to voicemail. 727. So we got a little gap there. We've got about a 13 minute gap. She calls Robert again. No service goes to voicemail. 734. Becky calls Christian. No service goes to voicemail. So it's just uh, seven minutes later. And then uh, one minute later, calls her cell phone again. I think to check her voicemail again. Only seven seconds. Must have not been a voicemail. 735. She tries Javier again. He has no service. Goes to voicemail. Uh, Two minutes later, 7.37, she calls Javier again. No answer. He has no service. It goes to voicemail. That's the end of her activity. Everything happens from 5 o'clock till 7.37. You've got, she comes home. She calls uh, calls Jacob, talks to Javier, calls him uh, several times back and forth. After she's home for about an hour, she has a two-minute phone call with Robert. uh, Still more back and forth with Javier. And then about, where does it start? At 6.50, between 6.53 p.m. and 7.34 p.m. So we're looking at about 40 minutes. She has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. She makes seven calls to Robert and Christian during those 40 minutes. All of them go to voicemail. The first handful, they had service. They went to voicemail. And then the last couple, they had no service. And then we have a gap until 11 p.m. And that's when you know we see on her phone record, which is what Ian says means her phone had service, which is very interesting 
She has, uh, we have Javier calls her at 1102, goes to voicemail, 1134. Denny's calls her cell phone, goes to voicemail, and 1140, Javier calls again, goes to voicemail. Uh, and we also know from Jacob's records that uh, Jacob tried multiple times to call her during that time. Oh, she also got a text from Javier that shows on his records, but not hers at 1042, uh, which means it didn't go through. But those are different towers, the cell, the talk towers and text towers. Uh, we know Jacob was trying to call her, but he had no service himself. So that is Becky's records. And uh, hang tight. We're almost done here. Uh, now I'm going to get into Robert and Christians. Again, I lumped them together because uh, we know they were together that night. At least it's believed they were together. So again, now, again, we're trying to get in the mindset of them. So, re- so remember what's going on. It's their, they're working at the water park at the end of the day. Cause was, what we have to do is we got to get them mentally from point a to point B, which is taking two guns up to the house, murdering three people and burning them alive. At the end of their workday, they were screwing around, playing on slides without water. And they got in trouble because they were, there was no water going to the slides and they get suspended for that, which essentially means they're fired. So their mindset around 6 o'clock is that they're playing on water slides. Now, at 6.03, uh, they're obviously off work and they're gone because Christian calls Robert. That's a one minute and one second phone call at 6.03. At 6.14 is when Becky's home calls Robert. Uh, the landline calls Robert. He talks to her for 2 minutes and 46 seconds. And that's his only contact with her, uh, where he actually speaks to her. At 6.18, after that, Robert calls Christian. They talk for 3 minutes. At 6.22, Christian then, uh, which is right after, he, so right after Christian gets off the call with Robert, Christian calls his girlfriend, Jackie. They talk for 2 minutes. Uh, 20 minutes later, 6.45. Jackie calls Christian again. They talk for eight minutes and 11 seconds. They get off that call at 653 Uh, at also at 653. So it seems like they've made some they're they're making some kind of plans here at 653. Becky calls Robert. He has service. He ignores the call goes to voicemail. Uh, Six minutes later, Becky calls Robert again. Same thing. Seven o'clock. Robert calls 411. Uh, That's the information line. 701, Robert calls the Sacred Heart Church. Uh, that's when he finds out that there is no mass after there's no 730 mass there. Uh, and then uh, two minutes after getting off that call, Robert calls his friend Andrew Geyer. Uh, 41 second call. Don't know if that was a short call or a voicemail. Uh, 705, Becky's home. Uh, Becky's landline calls Christian. He has service. He doesn't answer. Goes to voicemail. 706, Andrew calls Robert back. This time they do connect. They talk for two minutes and 33 seconds. 7.09, Christian calls Becky's home. This is when it rings four times. She answers and he hangs up. 7.10, Becky calls Christian right back. I mean, we're talking. there's seconds in there. I mean, we're, we're talking well, well under a minute. She calls back. He has service, doesn't answer, goes to voicemail. Then 7.27, Becky calls Robert. Now his phone is either off or out of service, goes to voicemail. 7.34, Calls Christian. His phone's either off or out of service. Goes to voicemail. And then that's the end of contact with Becky. At 8.33, uh, Sarah, Robert's girlfriend, tries to call him. He has no service. He goes to voicemail. Same thing happens at 8.46 and at 8.59. So his phone is still either out of service or off at 8.59. At 9.54 p.m., Andrew Geyer tries to call Robert. 
No answer goes to voicemail, no service. Right a minute later, he tries Christian, same thing, no service goes to voicemail. At least I think there's no service. There, to be clear, the record says they don't know where he's at, but it looks to me like he didn't connect with the tower. Uh, then at 10.23 p.m., Robert calls his voicemail from a tower in Cathedral City. After that, he uh, calls Sarah, and they talk for a minute, and then at 10.59, he calls her again, and they talk for two minutes. I want to talk real quick, uh, as quickly as I can, uh, about that 10.23 voicemail call. I told you when we were doing the uh, the study of the burn time from the burn body burn expert that it's going to be critically important that we pay attention to the timing there. And what we worked out was at the very far end to the maximum that Becky's body could have burned would would be thirty minutes, which would put the put her time that her body was ignited at nine forty six p.m. Now. That's it. That's at the extreme. She leaned closer to 20. After I looked at a report, I leaned closer to 20. But for the purposes of timing, we're trying to do it if they could, if it's possible. If the body was lit at 946 p.m., that is the absolute earliest that it could have been lit. That means the killers couldn't have left before 946 p.m. Now, Jim and I both believe, and I think most of you believe, that the killers didn't leave in a vehicle that they left in a car. We also believe that the reason Becky, I believe, the reason Becky's body was burned where it was, was because they were interrupted. I think Jim nailed it. I think that they saw fire trucks coming. They saw people coming, and that, and so, which means that occurred after the, the fire in the house had been started and it, as people were approaching the scene already. But forgetting all that, let's say it was the full 30 minutes. And they lit her on fire at 9.46. The cell phone tower that Robert connected to to check his voicemail down in Cathedral City, uh, the report says that the towers have a range of three to five miles. So five at the max. So if you take that tower and you make a five-mile radius around it, it gives you this, this point, which I don't have in front of me right now. It's on my map in my office, of the first place where he could have possibly connected to that tower. And I did just a Google map search to see how long Google maps thinks it would take to drive from Becky's driveway to that point. Now, and again, for this to work, that means the second he got to that five mile radius, the minute he got right there, he turned his phone on, called his voicemail right then and there. So, and that would have been at 1023. Google maps says that it is a 45 minute drive from Becky's driveway to that place. So here's our first problem or the state's first problem. 45 minutes backwards from 1023 is 938 PM. Eight minutes before Becky's body could have possibly been lit on fire. And that is a perfect scenario in order for that to be the case. That means again, that 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 her her body was for that that 45 minutes that means that he drove there and in the moment he got in that 5 mile range he turned his phone on called the voicemail right there not that he was like 4 or 5 miles closer down the road towards his house which is much closer to the tower but he was way back at the outside of the radius now let me tell you the problems why it would be actually much worse than that for the state if he was at that 5 mile radius from that tower he would have been way closer to two other towers he would have gone through he would have gone past three towers that he had signal at 
on his way down the mountain. And at that five mile point, he's like one mile from one tower and two miles from a, two or three miles from another tower. He's way closer to two other towers. So, so in order for the state's theory to work, that phone would have had to, for some reason, and there are instances where this can happen. I'm not saying there's not, but it connected to that one that was way out there five miles away instead of the ones that it was real close to. So there are some problems already for it to be right there and not another 10 minutes down the road up by where his house was at. The other problems we have is that Google Maps says that drive takes 45 minutes. Bullshit, it takes 45 minutes. I have a video that I put my phone on the dash of my car with the video running where I did a time test on it. It took me almost 50, it was like 52 minutes and 40 seconds to get from Becky's driveway to that point. And I was hauling ass in the daylight when I could see where everything was at. I mapped my route. I knew where I was going and I beat the living hell out of that rental car. You can hear the bottom scraping, hitting rocks. I mean, tearing it up because what Google Maps isn't, they're looking at it's a rural road. So you can drive 55 miles an hour when in reality, you can drive 20 miles an hour on that road. You can't get it. It takes you 15 minutes to get out of the neighborhood. And they're thinking it takes you three minutes to get out of the neighborhood. Uh, But it took me almost 53 minutes. And then I did it again later. I wanted to do it at night so that I could so that I could see in case traffic was an issue, even though traffic wasn't an issue. When I went, I didn't run into much traffic at all. Uh, I did it again. And again, it took me almost 52 minutes, even doing it night and day didn't make a difference. Um, It's because going down um, the main drag there on 111, once you get into town or Monterey or whatever it's called, I can't remember. uh, There's stoplight after stoplight after stoplight after stoplight all the way up through there. I've done it twice, took me over 50 minutes both times. And that was hauling ass as fast as I could go comfortably. Um. So let's let's give benefit of the doubt and just say split the difference and say we're around forty nine fifty minutes. That's still that's what we're talking about a matter of minutes. If it's fifty minutes, then instead of uh, of of nine thirty eight when they would have had to leave, now it's nine thirty three that they would have had to leave. And again, that fire when Becky was lit on fire could not have started before nine forty six. Not only based on what the scientists and the experts said. But based on our, our our understanding now, all these little details, to me, these are these moments that are like the karate kid sanding the, the fence or, or, or waxing the car. You know, it's super boring talking through all these scenarios, but this is where it matters. It's important that we figured out that the reason Becky's body likely was left where it was left and was lit on fire, where it was lit on fire, was because the killers were interrupted by responders. That is what we think happened. So that's what I, I will only speak for myself. That's what I believe happened. And that's what makes the most sense to me. And if that happened, then that means we're talking 950 or so she's lit on fire. And that fits and matches perfectly with the expert analysis. And so if, if, if she didn't get lit on fire until 950 and it takes 50 minutes to do it. Now we're talking nine, nine, uh, uh, I'm, I'm completely losing, losing my train of thought. It, it, the, the time between. When Robert would have had to have left her house to where he got to the point where he connected that cell tower, this gap just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Based on the evidence we have right now, it is my opinion that it is impossible for Robert to have both been up that mountain and lit Becky on fire and to have been connected to that Cathedral City Tower checking his voicemail at 10:23 p.m. It's 
impossible. It's fig- it's absolutely impossible for that to be the case. So that's a, that's a huge deal. We'll, we'll discuss that much more on the follow up. I'm sure, and I'm I'm sure there'll be some pushback against that. And I'm I'm looking forward to having those conversations. But I need to point that out that that is why the timing was so important. That is why we spent so much time on the crime scene because we need to know when that body was lit on fire to know if it was even possible for Robert to be down in the valley at that point. And again, while we're looking at Robert's records, let's look at, you know, what, what triggers a murder? All the only thing that could trigger a, a triple homicide here is a two minute and 46 second conversation. It's six fifteen or six fourteen with Becky. It's the only time he talked to her. He didn't talk to her all day. At five thirty six o'clock, he's he's dicking around, sliding down a water slide. She calls him and he talks to her for two minutes, which he says during that conversation. She said somebody else is going to be up there. Blah blah blah. He didn't want to deal with it, so he just decided not to go. You see, right after that call, he calls Christian. That makes sense because they were they were together. Christian calls Jackie. They're discussing whatever their plans are. She calls back. And then Becky starts blowing them up. Now, if, if Robert had intentions of going up there, why wouldn't he answer her calls? Why is he ignoring all of those calls that, she, that she's making and sending them to voicemail? If it was very clear from the conversation that he was going up there, then why is Becky calling him over and over and over and over again and calling Christian over and over and over again? Now, this is all anecdotal, and I'm not saying that, 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 that this is evidence and this is what we know what happened. I'm just trying to put myself in the mindset, like, how do you get to murder from there? And then this, the state's case about his phone being out of service, we just talked about, obviously, the timing issues. But more importantly than that, could it be that he drove to a place where he was out of service, where they both did, which could be up the mountain where Becky lives? Absolutely. That's a possibility. But could it be that, that a couple of teenagers decided... They didn't want to go for the hike. And that person started calling them over and over and over again. Isn't it possible that they might just shut their phones off? Which is what they say happened. They just shut the phones off because they didn't want, because she kept calling over and over and over again. And they wanted to go do what they wanted to do. They didn't want to deal with it. Not saying one or the other happened, but these are things that I want you guys to consider and be thinking about. Uh, we, we don't need to go over, we're so long, we don't need to go over um, Robert's records in the morning. You heard already what happened there. You know, he got up in the morning, he called Sarah, everything seems normal until Javier calls him. Um, and there are multiple calls from Javier, which confirm what he had told the police. Uh, and speaking of Javier, let's go over Javier's calls. And I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible. Uh, again, 440, Javier texts Becky. Uh, 512, Becky calls Javier. Uh, then Javier calls that 4609 number for three minutes at 538, 540, he calls Nick Corline. He's still down the valley at this point. And that, that, that's the point when he is leaving and driving up the mountain. So I don't, so again, I don't know what's going on there, but I know that he was talking to Becky all day. He spent some time with Becky. He talked to Becky on her way up the mountain. He talked to Becky for 20 minutes at 512 after she got there. And then 28 minutes later. He decides to just drive up the mountain where he says that he's just driving around. Now, keep in mind, his records put him in the valley during the time of the murders. I want to make that crystal clear. But something something isn't adding up quite here for me. Um, and again, I'm not suggesting that he was at the mountain, up the mountain at the time of the murders. But I just, I just can't put my finger on it. But she goes up there. They talk for 20 minutes. 
And then he gets in his car and he just drives up the mountain, says he wants to go for a ride. So he drives up the mountain and at, at 554, Becky tries calling him. He has no service. She tries again at 556. He has no service. Uh, then when he, once he gets past Pinion Pines and he's in Anza, which is the middle of nowhere, uh, then he calls Becky. They talk for 12 minutes. Uh, then he calls her again uh, when he's in Aguanga. That doesn't get picked up. 13 seconds. At 640, Becky calls Javier from Aguanga again. They talk for five minutes and 39 seconds. Then uh, he gets uh, a number of texts Javier. Then Javier calls Corey Donovan for four minutes from Anza. Becky calls Javier, goes to voicemail. He's got no service. So now he's on his way back down the mountain. He gets a text from a 2122 number. Uh, then Becky's home line calls him at 735. He has no service. Home line calls him again at 737. He has no service. Uh, then at 745, he, so as soon as he gets back into the valley, he doesn't call Becky. Instead, he calls Jacob, which goes to voicemail. Uh, then at 747, he calls Corey Donovan. One minute, don't know if it connected. Corey calls him back. One minute, don't know if it connected. He calls Corey back. One minute, don't know if it connected. Uh, 805, he calls that 0317 number. Don't know if it connected. Uh, that number calls him back. One minute at 847 or uh, 807 at 848. That number calls him back again. There's a two-minute call there. 924, this is when his phone is in the valley, but he doesn't answer the call. 924, Nick Crum calls him. That's a two-minute call, uh, 927, uh, or excuse me, no, he was there for that one. 924, Nick Crum calls Javier, talks to him for two minutes. 927, Javier calls the 0317 number again, the number we need to figure out. Uh, 947, Nick Crum calls Javier. This is when his phone's in the valley, but he doesn't answer it. 953, Nick calls him again, he doesn't answer it. 1042, he texts Becky. Uh, which, you know, obviously looks good for Javier. If You know, she's dead. We know for sure at 1042 she's dead and he's texting her. But then 1101, Javier calls Denny's for one minute, which I have a hard time making sense of that. And then at 1102, he calls Becky, uh, Becky's cell phone, goes to voicemail. 1140, calls her cell phone again, goes to voicemail. And then for the first time throughout these records, after that 1140 call, we have nothing all night long. 8.48, Javier gets up in the morning. His first call, not to Becky. He calls Claire Ripito, Becky's friend. Uh, 8.48, he calls Becky Sell. 8.53, calls Nick Coraline. 8.54, calls that 0317 number again. 8.56, he calls Janelle Packard. 8.57, he calls Corey Donovan. 8.59, he calls 0317, or that 0317 number calls him. Then he calls Nick Coraline again, then Corey Donovan again, then he calls 3618, he calls 0465. I mean, he's making calls every minute. I don't want to go through all of these. You can read them because they just keep going. Tries Becky Sell again, tries calling 3618, tries calling Nick Coraline, uh, calls uh, from the 0465 number, calls 7312 number, calls Nick Coraline, calls Becky Sell again, calls Corey Donovan, Donovan, calls Claire Ripito again. Claire calls him back at 1026 or 1022. First, then he connects with Claire after he's called her a couple times. They talk for four minutes. Right after that call, he calls Robert 1025, uh, which is why I think that it was that call at 1022, probably where Javier found out something happened up at the mountain uh, or something about the fire. And he calls Robert. They talk for two minutes. Uh, then he calls Robert again. Then he calls Robert again. Then Robert calls Javier. Then Javier calls Robert. And then Robert calls Javier. And then Robert calls Javier. Then Javier calls Robert again. And they finally connect and talk for four minutes and 21 seconds at 1029. Uh, then Javier calls Claire Ripito. No answer. 
calls Robert again. They talk for five minutes. Uh, then he calls Nick Coraline, Claire Ripito again, 0317 again. Claire calls Javier. Uh, he calls Nick Coraline. He calls Corey Donovan. He goes up to the mountain, does his interview, comes back down. First thing, calls his mom, calls Jacob, calls his dad, calls 0465. Uh, then his dad calls him back. Then Corey calls Javier. And then Javier calls Denny's at 2.41 p.m., the day after the murder. Uh, and then he calls 0465 again at 2.43, calls his mom again. Then he calls Robert. Javi's dad calls him. They talk for four minutes at 2.47. And at 2.51, Javier calls Robert yet again and talks to him for four minutes. Uh, so there's I've just given you guys so much information. I, I, I guess real quick, sorry, I'm trying to end this before you just want to cut your ears off but uh we've come this far so we might as well finish it up jacob santiago's records are pretty easy the only i'm only going to give you the relevant numbers people we know at this point we know at 511 becky tried to call him and he had no service and he checked his own voicemail at 621 javier tried to call him at 745 when he got back down to the valley uh and then we have the massive string of calls we have the three times where jacob attempted to call becky's cell at 1018 1023 or excuse me, 1023, 10:25, and 10:44. Uh, he didn't have service at that time. Couldn't get the calls to go through. Checks his voicemail at midnight, and then on uh, amongst a bunch of other calls we haven't got into yet. The day after, starting at 11 in the morning, a long string of calls where he's trying to call Javier, trying to call Becky Cell, trying to call Becky's landline. Again, all of that looks good for Javier or for Jacob that he's trying to get a hold of Becky. Uh, what does not look good for Jacob is the fact that his cell phone was off and out of service. We have no idea where it was from, uh, and it goes actually before this. It starts at like 2.30 in the afternoon, I think, all the way up until 6.20, where he turns it on, checks his voicemail, shuts it right back. I mean, there's a call, comes uh, 20, 30 minutes later, and it's right back off again. We have, we have calls at, at 7.45, where he has no service. We have calls at 10.14. Calls at 1018, another call at 1018. Uh, all those calls are confirmed that his phone did not have service during those critical times. So during the critical window, just like Robert and Christian, Jacob Santiago's phone is out of service. And we did, it was either off or in an area without service. And with that, I, I think I had this whole idea that I was going to give you guys some big uh, uh, breakdown at the end. Uh, but it's been a. Uh, been a long long episode uh hopefully this went well hopefully i made it easy for kelly sorry kelly if this uh was, was a little rough on you it was longer than i meant for it to be uh, but i'm gonna leave it at that the documents will be up uh up at the website and i'm really looking forward to the friday follow-up where we'll talk about this stuff and with that i am out talk to you guys on friday Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design, and you can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team. 
Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kaywood Yomnik, Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I can be found personally on all forms of social media at BobRuffTruth. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Sky Stream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next-day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream. TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed, 10 megabits per second, 18-month minimum term. Cut-off times apply for next-day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18-plus terms apply.